Bob France here on AM 1420. The answer. I love that my production crew has taken to heart. <laughs> Dr. Piper and I talked about uh, a few weeks back. Uh, Dr. Rowdy Everett Piper. No, not quite the same as Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I love the, I loved the Rowdy one. I really did. Uh, back in my kid days of uh, watching WWF wrestling, Rowdy Rowdy Piper was a favorite, and I love the bagpipes as we bring in Dr. Everett Piper. To begin hour number two on this Thursday, the 17th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Dr. Everett Piper is a former university president. He's a best-selling author. He's a columnist for the Washington Times, and he is also a podcast radio host in his native Oklahoma, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Dr. Rowdy. How are you, sir? (laughs) I love it. And an early Merry Christmas to you. I missed you guys last week. Yeah, we did too, Doctor, but I, I obviously schedules sometimes uh, get in the way of some of our best intentions, and uh, we're glad you're back now, glad you had safe travels. Uh, okay, Dr. Piper, there's three big stories that I want to get in with you uh, and to discuss with you. Uh, one of them is one that you and I have had a lot of time to talk on, and I know it's uh, you're very passionate about, as am I, and that is defensive women. There has been a bill that has been introduced by Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, former presidential candidate, and she's a Democrat. And this is particularly of note because she is introducing a bill that, generally speaking, one would expect to come from a Republican because the Democrat Party, uh, you know, writ large, uh, is, is quite simply terrified of special interest social justice groups, whether they be BLM or whether they be LGBTQA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that makes this a little bit more important, I think. Tulsi Gabbard's bill is Protect Women's Sports Act. And there's two ways to view this, Dr. Piper. One is to say that they are trying or she is trying to ban transgender athletes from women's sports. Um, The other way to say this would be to say she is trying to protect real women and girls and their opportunities in sports. It just depends on whether you want to see uh, the negative or the positive side of this. How do you view this bill, Dr. Piper? Well, you know, <laughs> you're throwing me a great big softball pitch right now. You know, yes, I am, <laughs> very, um, very much so. <laughs> first of all, thank the Lord for Tulsi Gabbard getting this one right. Now, I'm going to say why she has it right, and then I'm going to say I'm going to mention the slippery slope that she's been on that has caused this mess to happen in the first place. She has it right okay. because she's very clearly and explicitly saying you can't have women's sports if women aren't real. Title IX, 1972 law, was established to give women equal access to the court and to the field and to the scholarships and to sports. You can't have female athletics if you deny the fact of the female. This is just common sense. In fact, she actually says that in one of her concluding statements defending this. Now, it's interesting, Mark Wayne Mullen is co-sponsoring this bill with her, and he's a representative from just south of the Tulsa area. So I know Mark Wayne Mullen, and he's co-sponsoring this. Now, here's the thing. Mark Wayne Mullen has been on the right side of this issue from the beginning. Tulsi Gabbard has not been, because in 2019, every Democrat in the United States House of Representatives voted for the Equality Act, which would include who? Tulsi Gabbard. 
Therefore, mm-hmm. because she has imbibed the Kool-Aid of fluid identity claims, subjective identity claims, and that you aren't necessarily defined by your bi- biology and your DNA and your genetics, you're defined by your dysphoria and your dementia and your fantasies, she has been imbibing that Kool-Aid, and therefore her ideas have led to this mess that she's now trying to confront. So thank you, Tulsi Gabbard. Thank you, Representative Gabbard, for finally uh, waking up and smelling the coffee. But if you weren't drinking the Kool-Aid in the first place, we wouldn't be here. That is the moral to this story. Ideas always have consequences, and the ideas behind the Equality Act, fluidity identity claims, subjective identity claims, led us to this point where a dysphoric man can take away the sport of a woman when the law was declared to protect the woman in the first place. Now, having said all of that, and I and I knew you're right, I knew exactly what your position would be, I wanted to hear you articulate it for our listeners, and you did. Here's the follow-up. Um, what are the chances that Tulsi Gabbard's bill gets anywhere near uh, a committee or out of a committee and potentially on the floor for a House vote in a still, although much more narrowed, Democrat-majority House? In the immediate offing, zero. However, I don't want to be a defeatist on this. Ideas matter. Ideas are directional. Ideas always have consequences. The negative direction and consequences of the Equality Act have led us to this mess we're in. If we continue to beat the drum for common sense, if we continue to beat the drum for being pro-science, pro-woman, if we continue to wave the flag of being the real feminists because we believe in the female, we will win. So we need to rally behind Tulsi Gabbard and recognize that she may lose because there isn't a Democrat colleague in the House that's going to touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. However, how can you continue to deny women their reality? You can't claim to be a feminist if you turn around and pretend that a female is a fantasy. And if we continue to speak that message clearly and boldly on every corner, at every opportunity we get, and tempt the left to try to refute us scientifically, biologically, uh, psychologically, theologically, ontologically. I dare you. Call in right now and try to debate me on this. I dare you. You will not win. No, uh, it's impossible because there is just there. There are no there are no uh, there are no facts to counter the facts that you are presenting right now. Doctor Everett Piper is our guest. Uh, you were right at the beginning. Uh, we have traversed this ground before, and I have heard your views on this before. Now I want to uh, travel to another area. And Dr. Piper, you and I have also talked at length about um, the role that faith plays in our commu- in our society, in our country, and quite frankly should play in our government. And I want to bring to your attention um, an organization that is trying to make sure that those two things do not uh, intersect any longer, talking about faith and government. The Secular Democrats of America, a group backed by congressional Democrats. As a matter of fact, this group uh, has presented a document, a 28-page document that was introduced by Representatives Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, Jared Huffman, Democrat from California, and endorsed by Jerry McNearney, another Democrat from California that states that when the Biden administration takes over, and it's looking more and more like that is going to be the case, the Biden administration must educate the American public, particularly those identified as the religious right, 
on the need to keep their religious dogma to themselves. The document calls for a purge of social conservatives from all levels of government, describing them as white nationalists and conspiracy theorists. They literally are targeting the traditional Catholic community as well as the conservative evangelical Protestant community, which covers you and it covers me, those two things, two groups that voted for Donald Trump in droves. Um, The document states, Dr. Piper, the constant entanglement of religion and government promoted by the religious right and intensified by the Trump administration sweeps far beyond hot-button culture war issues like abortion and contraception. It permeates every aspect of government policy, health care, public and private education, foreign policy, tax policy, environmental policy, military policy, and more, all of which will be addressed in this document. Dr. Piper, they're basically saying that religious conservatives like you and like me must be excised from government first and probably from society second. Your thoughts? Well, here's, here's where I agree with them. Um, my Christian faith, my biblical worldview, my Judeo-Christian ethic does permeate all aspects of my life and of culture. It does have an impact on my view of taxation. It does have an impact on my view of national defense policy, social policy, education. It does have an impact on the way I view women and the way I view children. Yes, my Christian worldview does influence the way I walk and the way I talk and the way I engage in culture, and it should. Anybody who buys the lie that you put your faith, put your Christian faith in some sort of closet and only practice it in the privacy of your personal worship, of your personal God has bought the lie. That is not Christianity. Christianity is supposed to govern the way you think, the way you live, and the way you communicate, and the way you engage with other people. Yes, Christianity is pervasive. I agree with you on that. So is their religion. Now let's talk about where I disagree. They act as if they don't have a religion. Really? They do have a religion. Their religion is called secular atheism, secular humanism. They believe, they don't have any facts for it, they believe that a woman can be make, made up and contrived. A woman is a fantasy, not a fact. We've covered that, that already. Mm-hmm. They believe that all of the complexity of creation is just happenstance and chance, and that it's equivalent to putting a watch in a paper bag, hitting it with a hammer a thousand times, and then shaking that paper bag a thousand times over and expecting the watch to come back together and start ticking somehow magically. They believe that when you drive by a housing development that there was no architect and there was no builder. They believe that when you read a book that there was no writer and there was no author. They believe that when you look at a painting, there is no painter. They believe that all of the beauty of creation is nothing but happenstance and chance. That is as much a faith statement as anything that Christianity ever claims. In fact, it's more of one because Christianity has historical analysis and historical fact and logic and common sense and natural law and the traditions of the Church and the biblical reality behind it. That is um, very well stated, Dr. Piper. I want to follow up on this with one more question, but I'm going to take our break here, and then I want to come back to your column for this week in the Washington Times, and I want to talk about that as well. So we'll continue with Dr. Piper after this short time out on AM 1420, The Answer.
Okay, we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer with Dr. Everett Piper, and we're talking uh, about a, dem- they call themselves, anyway, the Secular Democrats of America. They are backed by elected Democrats in Congress, and they are essentially calling for a purge of Judeo-Christian values from our society, as Dr. Piper just explained, and moreover, a purge of Judeo-Christian um, officials from elected office and from having anything to do with establishing policy in this country. And, and Dr. Piper, the follow-up I wanted to ask you is just to kind of, and we've talked about this in the past, uh, and I know we don't have a ton of time for a, for a long lecture here, but if anybody can lecture on it, summarily you can. And that is, this country was built on religion. This country was built on faith. It was built on Judeo-Christian values. And there are countless references and examples to it in the Federalist Papers, in the Declaration of Independence, for goodness sakes. And of course, it was written right into the Constitution that freedom uh, to practice our religion as we see fit uh, is, you know, it's, it's a cornerstone of this republic. Um, can you can you kind of speak to that as to what they are trying to do to us right now because of our faith? Yeah, the thing that comes to mind first when you ask that question, Bob, is the French Revolution versus the American Revolution. And why did those two revolutions end differently? The French Revolution did exactly what these guys are trying to do. In fact, it was Diderot who says, said that we, men will not be free until we strangle the last priest with the entrails of the last king. In other words, blood. Blood will run in the streets. We need to kill the church and kill the government authority that now rules over us, and rise ourselves up, raise ourselves up as the new image of liberty. But the American Revolution was different. The American Revolution did not seek to kill the Church. The American Revolution sought to revive the Church, and to recognize that God's revelation was the only context for freedom. And if that if you get rid of that revelation, if you try to kill God, you will kill yourself. You will suffer what Robespierre suffered, and that is the fate of the instrument of his own design, the guillotine. Blood will run in the streets. So the American Revolution, it is a fact. These guys can't refute it. At least they can't refute it if challenged. It is a fact that the American Revolution was grounded in a biblical ethic, those self-evident truths that are endowed to us by our creator. Those are biblical truths, and the French Revolution eschewed those truths and tried to crucify them, kill them, if you will, via the guillotine. The American Revolution succeeded in giving us freedom because it did what Chesterton called upon us to do, and that is acknowledge the big laws of God, and that those big laws will give you freedom, and that if you try to disavow those big laws of God, you'll get thousands and thousands of little laws imposed upon you by power, by oligarchy, by the arrogant elite, by the political establishment that will seek not your freedom, but your control. That's the difference. And I've cited before on your show, uh, uh, Feller, I believe his last name is Feller. He wrote a book, America's Prophet, where he tells us that the individual that has cited, that has cited more than Locke and Montesquieu And all of the political thinkers of the ages, whether it be Aristotle, Plato, like I said, Hume, Locke, Montesquieu, etc., the philosopher that cited more as a foundation for the American Revolution than any other is who? Moses. Moses. Deuteronomy, as a book, is cited more often than all those other authors combined in the seminal documents of the United States of America, the Federalist Papers, etc., 
cite Moses and Deuteronomy more often than anybody else. So when these guys say that they want to expunge religion from the public square, they want to rewrite American history, and they want to reinvent the French Revolution. Wow. Perfect analogy. Great historical lesson there, Dr. Piper. And you said a second ago, I believe it was thousands of little laws established by elites. And you unwittingly probably launched into our only one minute long discussion of your column this week. Uh, I knew you'd love this, by the way. Literally yesterday, this headline, Democratic governor encourages people to stay at home, gets caught at out at wine bar. And I'm talking <laughs> I'm talking about uh, Governor uh, um, uh, uh, Oh, for crying out loud, what's her name? Uh, the governor of Rhode Island. I've lost it. Uh, but anyway, uh, the governor of Rhode Island. Yeah, the, and that's okay, because the point is, oh, Gina Raimondo, sorry, Gina Raimondo. Uh, she she was out at Barnaby's Public House in Providence without a mask, enjoying a night of wine and, and socializing with her friends. This just ties so perfectly to what you wrote before this ever happened uh, for the Washington Times about the hypocrisy of Democrats as it pertains to the little laws that they pass, but they don't, or that they order, but that they themselves don't have to follow. Go ahead, I'll give you a couple of minutes. Okay. Bottom line is when you're lied to over and over again, what happens? You stop believing. You stop believing the people that have been lying to you. And right now, we don't know which end is up when it comes to this COVID nonsense because you've got Gavin Newsom, you've got this governor, you've got the governor of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, you've got uh, Cuomo of New York. You've got all of this nonsense. These people refuse to live by their own rules. Lots of laws for thee, but no laws for me. And what does that tell you? It smacks of the boy who cried wolf. Over and over again, there's a wolf, there's a wolf, COVID's going to kill us, COVID's going to kill us. But yet, they don't live by their own rules. And that screams hypocrisy, duplicity, and we don't know what to believe any longer. So therefore, we say, nuts to you people, you tell us not to get together for Christmas, we're going to get together for Christmas anyway, because you people will, you've already proven you intend to. That's exactly the most frustrating thing about all of this. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this real quick, and I know we're past our time, but it's okay. Dr. Fauci is trying to uh, walk some of that back, saying we should cancel Christmas. And oh, by the way, I am too. I'm only going to be with my wife. Our adult children are not coming home for Christmas, trying to set the example. But too late, because as you point out in your column between Lori Lightfoot and Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi in the salon and all of these individuals, including the most recent one now, uh, uh, which happened after you wrote the column in, in in Rhode Island, um, it's too late. They have already, you know, established that it is do as I say, not as I do. And if there is, if there is any blame for people dying of COVID, the blame's on their head because they're the ones who have been lying to us from Fauci on down. Fauci told us don't buy masks because they're because they're ineffective. Now he's telling us get a mask. He was willing to lie to the entire American population and tell us that masks were ineffective because he was concerned there wouldn't be enough for healthcare workers. He's admitting that he lied and put millions of lives at risk. Why should we believe him now? Very, very well said. And that's a good way to wrap it up. We had a lot of ground to cover. I think we did it pretty well today. Dr. Piper, thank you so much. Let's see. Next Thursday is what? Uh, the 20... Uh, where's my where's my calendar here? Next Thursday is the... Oh, it's Christmas Eve, so we will have a live show, I believe. So we'll talk to you then. I'll save my... Well, now, I'll give you, I'll give you a free one now. Merry Christmas, Dr. Piper. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> All right. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Thanks, thanks very much. That's Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's get a check of the news and come right back with your calls on The Authority.
1037. Wow. Uh, what a program so far this morning. Uh, so much ground covered between our conversation with Jack Windsor, uh, Senate Bill 311. I just talked about some extraordinarily important things with uh, Dr. Everett Piper, and uh, I want to give the last half hour of the show to you, the last 22 minutes anyway, at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I, I can't overstate, however, the importance of somebody reaching Larry Oboff today and somebody reaching Bob Cup today, and it may be too late, especially because there are a number of... Um, uh, House representatives in the state house who are not going to be able to come to the Capitol to, to vote, even if they did get an opportunity to vote on the override of Senate Bill 311 because of COVID, they didn't do anything to put it in pl- uh, put that uh, uh, those fixes in place. Bob Cup and the rest of the leadership, you know, I got to tell you, Ohio's a red state. Ohio went solid for Trump by eight points. Ohio has a Republican governor. Ohio has a Republican majority in the General Assembly. And I see a bunch of spineless, weak Republican jellyfish. That's what I see. I see a bunch of, you know, really pathetic rhinos. Not nearly enough intestinal fortitude and conservative principles to warrant their elections. What are you there for if you're not there to do the will of the people? Republicans put this Republican majority in power in the Ohio General Assembly to stand up for our rights, for the Constitution, Ohio and United States versions. That's why you're there. And you're ignoring them. You're ignoring all of us who are pleading with you to allow yourselves, the representatives, and thus the people who picked you as their representatives, to have a say in how we're governed, to have a say in what is done in the case of a health emergency, rather than leaving it all up to the unilateral decision of Governor DeWine or of the governor consulting with the health director, and that's it. We deserve a say in this, especially if they're going to make decisions that shut us down, especially if they're going to make decisions that, uh, that, that harm the, the people of this state. Terribly so. Larry Oboff promised two weeks ago, he promised that he would hold an override vote in the Senate if Governor Mike DeWine vetoed it. Senate Bill 311. Well, Governor Mike DeWine did veto it. And Larry Oboff has gone back on his word. Nobody can reach him to ask him why. Now, maybe there's a really good reason. Senator Oboff, President of the Ohio Senate, I'll give you a chance to explain the reason why you've gone back on your word and you won't hold that vote. And it's going to be too late because the clock is going to run out on this session of the General Assembly. We're not going to be able to have uh, uh, you know, anything close to what we need in time to protect and preserve the rights of people and businesses in this state because you're going to push this off to the next session in January, and then it's going to be 90 days even if this thing did get through. Why are you, why are you going back on your word? Maybe there's a good reason. I've been pretty hard on Larry Oboff. I've been pretty hard on uh, uh, individuals who have said they may or may not vote for the override, people like Gail Manning. Dave Greenspan has some questions that he hasn't answered. 
Bob Cup, the Speaker of the House, who t- took over after the mess that Householder left. What, where is your leadership? Where are you? Why are you ignoring this bill that was duly passed by your two representative chambers of the Ohio General Assembly? The Senate passed it, 311. The House passed 311. DeWine, in true Napoleonic uh, uh, ma- manner, vetoed it. Now give the Senate and the House members that passed it the opportunity to override it. Why are you obstructing? Maybe there's a good reason. Maybe I owe Larry Oboff an apology. But nobody will know that because he's not talking. He won't return messages to people. He, when's the last time Larry Oboff made a public statement about Senate Bill 311? The last one I can find is December 2nd. That, that's the last one I can find. When he said he will absolutely give this thing a vote. He'll hold the vote to override the veto. And now here we sit at the zero hour, and he's not only not holding the vote, he's not even talking about it. What changed his mind? Nobody can get that answer from him. And Bob Cup, why didn't you put procedures in place? Why didn't you, when the opportunity was there in the face of this pandemic, in which people may not be able to vote in person because of you know, contact tracing, isolation, and all the other various fears of, of COVID-19, etc. Why didn't you put something in place so that, people, so that representatives can vote from remote locations? I, I'm just disgusted with the Ohio Republican Party. From the chair on down. And I would love to hear some of them defend any of this. All right, Nancy is calling us from Canton. Sorry about the extended rant there, but it's 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 the last day. It's the last chance to pass that thing and give us a say here in the state of Ohio. I had to get all of that out. Nancy, go right ahead. What's on your mind? Well, Bob, uh, apparently, too, our, our Republicans in Stark County aren't good for much either. We just uh, purchased here in Stark County Dominion voting machines. And uh, I, I, I was just absolutely blown away when I saw this, this post on Facebook, of all places, uh, from the Canton Repository, reporting that, indeed, we began looking at the purchase of Dominion voting machines back in 2018. And I believe there were concerns voiced back then, among at least among the uh, folks in the congressional level, the U.S. congressional level. But... Here we are in 2020, right after a disastrous election, uh, purchasing Dominion voting machines for Stark County. So <laughs> just want to give you a heads up on that. Uh, apparently, the tentacles are reaching down into county government. And, uh, of course, the Republican on the Board of Elections, Bill Klein, said, well, there's nothing to see here. There, there, was, uh, there was no fraud uh you know perpetrated involving these these machines uh that's just all conspiracy i you know i i i I said to my husband i think it's time to uh to start being a pain in the backside to our local officials again um i've done it before to get some change in stark county it was it was a successful effort so it's time to ramp up the pain in the butt machine so to speak. Well, you, you you know what, Nancy, you're you're a thousand percent right, and I'll tell I'll say this, and thank you so much for the phone call. Um, uh, this is exactly right when you say the tentacles have reached down into the smaller local offices and and boards uh, of election, etc. This is this is how it's done. 
Um, when you try to perpetrate something as massive as what has been done here, in my view, um, on the American people, you don't do it from the top down. You do it from the bottom. You do it at the smallest levels, the local levels. You gain measures of control at the smaller local levels, and when you add them all up, then that starts to become bigger and bigger and bigger. It's the, you know you don't just go to the state board of elections and and say you know, although there are obviously state boards of elections and chairs who have chosen to enter contracts, massive contracts with Dominion, thinking, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and, and, you know, the real frustrating part about all of this is the fact that, and I know I'm getting off on a tangent, tangent here, but, but is the fact that literally, very recently, Joe Biden and the Democrats had expressed very serious concerns about um, the, uh, the uh, uh, voting machines being tampered with. They went from, hey, we don't know if this election is going to be on the up and up because we don't know if the machines are going to be tampered with, to, what do you mean the machines were tampered with? I won fair and square. Joe Biden won fair and square. Donald Trump and his crew, a bunch of sore losers. Are you kidding me? They literally were preaching it as recently as last year that they were concerned about the voting machines that were going to be used and whether or not they would be vulnerable to tampering. And, and somebody getting in there and fixing the machines, if you will, in order to change votes. And again, this is, this is a, an Alinsky rule for radicals. It's one of their tactics. Accuse the opponent of doing that which, uh, of which you are guilty yourself. If this is what you are doing, the best way to get out in front of it and protect yourself is to accuse your opponent of doing it. And that is reality. Again, it wasn't that long ago that they were the ones saying, you know, these machines might be able to be tampered with. We can't trust the Republicans. Remember, after all, the Russians maneuvered with the Republicans and colluded with them to steal the last election, so we can't trust this. And then suddenly, you know, Biden wins by that very same method, or not by the same method, by by a worse, worse method, uh, in terms of theft of, of votes and theft of, of governmental office. Uh, and they say, what do you mean tampering? What do you, what do you, why are you questioning the validity and the security of these machines? Why are you questioning uh, you know, Dominion? It's just so much garbage. It's just so hypocritical. It's impossible to defend. It's impossible, impossible to justify. As a matter of fact, let me, do I have audio here of Biden talking about this? I think I do. I've got such a massive um, uh, collection of audio sound bites here. Let me see if I can pull this. Let me see if this is the one. This might be... It want to actually have an impact. Now, the second piece you're talking about, which is what people usually mean by election reform, how are you going to keep it from us being able to be in a position where you can manipulate the machines, manipulate the records? The one way to do that is, I think we should pass a federal law mandating that the same machines with paper trails be mandatory for every federal election. That will be a multi-billion dollar bill for the states because the states will have to make a choice then. They will have to make a choice whether or not they have two machines. We can't mandate, as you know, state elections. We can't tell the state of Delaware or Ohio or Texas what machines and what method they use to vote in their state elections. But we can do it federally. So in a nutshell, I think we should be mandating mandating that we have a paper ballot with a standardized machine, standardized uh, requirement. 
Okay, so that one now, just to be clear, that one was not so recent. I mentioned that literally as recently as last year, liberal Democrats were complaining about the potential for fraud with the machines. That one was actually from 13 years ago. It was in 2007. That was Joe Biden prior to Barack Obama's first election. He was concerned that the election would be potentially invalidated by machines, electronic voting machines, that would be tampered with. That's why he called for uh, paper ballots. That's pretty huge. That's more than pretty huge. That's, that's I mean, th- this is, again, when, when the Democrats are accusing you of something you just automatically should default to, that's what they're doing. That's what they themselves are doing. If they accuse you of something, that's what they themselves are doing. And Joe Biden literally went before the people and said in that publicized uh, soundbite, that uh, commentary, that in 2007 that elections will be stolen with electronic voting machines. Know that they have always been thinking about that and, yes, implementing it whenever possible. And that's exactly why he went public to condemn it, because it's like, no, if, if this happens, it would be... Ha- have you, have you, has there even been an allegation? Legit question. This isn't rhetorical. I don't know the answer. Has there even been an allegation in any of these elections that the Republicans tampered with voting machines? Seriously. Not even an allegation. All of the... Any eyewitness... Any eyewitnesses who have filed public statements, affidavits, which are the same thing as testifying before a court of law under penalty of perjury, any eyewitnesses alleging Republicans stealing votes, hiding votes, backdating absentee ballots, and all the other things that uh, we have seen in this election, not even one allegation. All of the allegations are always against the party that's committing the actual fraud. The Demon Rats. Final segment right after this. I'm going to push send on this right now. I've called it a few times. Now I have to send the text message to Senator Larry Obhoff. Good morning, Senator Obhoff. I, along with several several others, have been trying to reach you about the SB 311 override vote. Unfortunately, your voicemail box is full. Can you please talk with me on air or off about the reason for not calling this vote? Thank you. Bob France, WHK1420, Cleveland. I'll let you know if I get a reply. I know a lot of other uh, conservative-minded individuals who lead conservative groups who generally support the Republican Party down in Columbus who have been very frustrated by the lack of return text messages, lack of return voice messages, lack of return email messages from our leadership in the Statehouse. Um. So I am not confident I'm going to get any more of a response to this and then to uh, to emails or anything else. But I want to say that I did my best. Larry Oboff is the president of the Ohio Senate. 
He said two weeks ago that he would absolutely hold the vote uh, to override uh, 311, uh, Senate Bill 311's veto, and uh, here we are. Today is really the last day. I was told by a representative yesterday, a state representative yesterday, that um, the state, or excuse me, the House will not be called back into session after Christmas. So this is it. This is it. This is the last shot today. They're in session. Larry Alboff has to call the vote. Then it has to go to the House, and the House has to somehow convince uh, every COVID-stricken uh, or fearful or uh, uh, contact-traced and isolated individual that he can to get back into the, into the House today and cast a vote on that to override the veto so that in 90 days we can indeed begin to get our liberty back. And again, by the way, just so you know, when this passes, if such a, an override were to pass, it wouldn't fix all of our ills immediately. First of all, there's the 90-day waiting. And second of all, it doesn't say, okay, right now all of uh, the health director and the governor's orders are rescinded. It simply says if the health director and the governor want to make such decisions about closing businesses, picking winners and losers, uh, establishing curfews, uh, limiting capacity at churches and other places, etc., if they want to make those decisions in the future, they have to consult the legislature. They have to let the representatives of the people have a say in those decisions as well, which is exactly how a representative republic should function. That's what this country was built upon. And yes, the state of Ohio, on its level, should be the same way. So I'll let you know if I hear back. I'm not counting on anything. Uh, neither should you. But uh, we'll uh, we'll re- revisit this tomorrow uh, and uh, try to update you on the progress. Thanks to everybody for being a part of the show today, including my guests, Jack Windsor and Dr. Everett Piper. Thanks to Andrew and Marcy running our show. Thanks to you for listening. Enjoy uh, Mike Gallagher, Charlie Kirk, Dennis Prager, Dr. G, the rest of the crew, the rest of the day. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.